Let's rock. Episode 18 at Speaking Educationally, and tonight we have not a guest, we have a new teammate who hopefully will be joining us every week from now on. He was originally in the plans, and he's here now. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a minute, but Gerard and Dina, you guys have anything going on lately that you want to brag about or share? Resource? Um, we just, just we, we had a belated birthday party for my stepdaughter and did um, a, like a paint night. One of those like style things, which I had never done before. And it was actually, it went really well. I do want to say if anybody ever does one of these, do not go cheap on the acrylic paint. Um, Cause they have the consistency of water. If you do not. Oh, okay. So that was, that was very, that, that was a, a learning curve for us, but it's cool. You just, you go onto YouTube, you pull up a video of somebody like doing one of the paintings and you just kind of follow it. It was a lot of fun. That's cool. All right. What do you got? Me last week uh, was a kind of choppy week for me because I took a couple days off. Monday was my daughter's birthday; she turned twelve, so we celebrated her. And then on Wednesday, um, it was my me and my wife's fourteenth year anniversary, so we celebrated and we just we just had fun reconnecting with the family and just kind of chilling out, not not doing a lot, um, just a lot of family time and and reading and just trying to get better. That's cool. Congratulations on 14. That's awesome. I know. That, that's, it seemed like that time went by fast, too. Yeah. So I have, yeah. My only story is my, my nine-year-old and I were pulling weeds that we came across the hornet's nest. And I got stung three times on my chest. It got in my shirt. So I yelled, Nora, run! And she ran. She got stung, though. But it was all good. <laughs> she can throw it. But surviving uh, wow. to be with your child for the first time is always an experience, so. Yes. Anyhow. All right. We got Steven Williamson here tonight, and he is definitely was a part of the plan from the very beginning, but we're glad that you made it. So, Doug, Steven, you just called him Williamson? Williams. Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> 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 it's all good. We I, I got to be like Justin tonight and mess yeah. with Doug. <laughs> I was I was sitting here thinking to myself, have I been calling him the wrong last name like no. all this time? <laughs> all right, so okay. this is part of the podcast where I just shut my mouth and I'm like, no, okay. I'm, I'm messing with you, Doug. Welcome. I'm here for the welcome, and maybe one joke later if I'm really on my game. All right, Steven Wilson. Sorry, Steven, <laughs> I apologize, but for real. Um, yeah, um, super you know, excited. Tell us who you are, my man. Oh, super excited to be on. Um, and it's been a long, a long couple months, um, which has kind of prohibited me from being on, but excited to be on tonight. Um, pretty much four-year teacher uh, from Everett Meredith Middle School and Apoquinimic School District. Taught there all four years. Um, lived in Delaware all my life. Attended University of Delaware and graduated in 2016. 
So Delaware is all I know. Delaware public school education and a little bit of private school is all I know. Um, just excited to be a part of this, to learn, share, and hopefully help somebody um, in terms of equity and hopefully um, be able to impact our kids in a, in a different way. So we didn't talk about this before the show, but was there a reason why you got into education or was there like something that pushed you like a person, a time, a moment, like um, something you grew up when you were like, you know what, when I'm five years old, I'm like, I love working with kids. Like, yeah, I, I would say uh, for me, I've always been good with kids as far as um, just playing around, having a good time. Um, I could always see myself being a PE coach or, or a PE teacher or a coach of a sport. Um, but I think it was probably my junior year of college and I was working at the learning center, university of Delaware. And I was in the, I think the first grade classroom and it was the most, um, most diverse room I've been in. And so, um, there was a lot, um, kids from variety of different backgrounds, but um, one of the things that stuck out to me is just the impact that my presence was like just being there um, sparked a different reaction from the kids. I knew they were kind of used to the women. Yeah. And so my first day, they were like, you're a teacher. <laughs> and they're like, you're, you're here to like help us learn. And they just asked me so many different things. And just being on those relationships with the kids kind of showed me how important it is for um, black males to be in the education system. Did you get, did you go to college to become an educator or you went in like liberal arts, like not sure? So, yeah, I was undeclared for my first two years. And then after that experience, that's when I started moving into the um, education field. And thankfully with summer and uh, winter, I graduated on time because, you know, with those courses, you have to kind of get caught up in practicums and teaching. But I um, was able to swing it. Grew up anyway, though, because they put weird classes at weird times. I've heard mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. So, I mean, what are what are you thinking about? So, a lot of time we talk on this podcast about what we want to do, what kind of things that we want to make, the changes that we want to make, the things that we observe. So, for you, like in five years, like where is the perfect space for you to be in? You said you've been teaching. This could be your fifth year. You said. Yeah, so five years going into 10, I would say definitely um, still in the classroom, but slowly working my way out. Um, would love to be teaching an African-American history course. Um, that's one of my favorite content areas um, that has always kind of stuck out to me. Um, just growing up as a kid, my mom made us pick a summer reading book every summer as a former educator herself. And so I will always find myself in the African-American literature section. I'm just grabbing something to read. And that passion kind of has always stuck with me. So teaching that course and then a um, social justice course. Um, Kids, I think, have a, they're very instinctual, I think, when it comes to that topic. They know what's right, what's wrong, what's fair, what's not. And I think it's definitely, um, a content that we should explore a little bit more and give kids the opportunity to learn in those spaces. So I think that's will be my dream situation five years from now. So, so let me ask you another question then. And Gerard and Dean, I'm sorry, you wouldn't jump in anytime, but if, <laughs> so if you're teaching history, right. And yeah. you have 
carte blanche to do whatever you want. You can teach anything from history. What's the one story? What's the one uh, story from Black history that you tell first? Like it doesn't matter what era. It could be from the yeah. So now, like, what's that one? It could be a person, or it could be a man. I thought, yeah, just go ahead. What's your first thing that jumps in your mind? So many different options. Um, <laughs> and you'll be judged on this forever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. My um, communities, the white community, the black community. <laughs> 5,000 of our listeners are going to respond to this. I would say, mm, oh, that's that's tough. Uh, Come on, I would say the... The story of James Farmer and the Great Debaters. Ooh. Um, I honestly watching that movie um, really, really, um, I think motivated me even more to be a student and uh, be a lifelong learner. What so, era? You know, was this? I don't know anything about this story, so can you help? Oh, so this is um, so the it's um i don't want to say it was produced or made in about like 2007 2008 um by denzel washington and oprah it's pretty much a story of um the debate team at um i'm trying to think of the college riley wiley sorry wiley college in texas south texas and pretty much it's about um one of the professors there he creates a debate team and they start debating teams all across the South. And his big thing is like, we're, we're going to debate the best. I don't care who it is. We're debating the best. We're trying to be the best. And so he's like the first person to um, set up or arrange a debate between a black college and a white college, which is, um, I believe it was in South Carolina. I may be getting that wrong, but um, after that, pretty much they worked their way up all the way up to Harvard. And so, they end up having a debate with Harvard and um, they win the debate and it's just this whole big hurrah moment. Um, but it was just a really, uh, a really empowering and inspiring movie. And then after watching the movie, kind of just did some research on my own to get a little more understanding or backdrop on the whole, um, the whole story. So yeah, that would be where I would love to teach if I were to start somewhere. Um, that's yeah. teaching black culture without a deficit mindset, right? Like that's teaching a powerful, positive story first. Right. right. I think right. sometimes that's missed, but I know we talked about this a little bit in the past. But Dean and Gerard, you guys got anything for even I, I want to talk about the hundred black men ties uh quick. You guys got anything else? Questions? No, I'm just I'm in, I'm enjoying getting to know Steven. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so so Steven um, you definitely were one of the, the the voices, and I'm not I'm not saying that you get all the credit for it because you know we don't want to give around too much credit around here. But <laughs> you definitely uh, were a serious voice in this hundred black men ties movement that happened in Dover a few weeks ago. Can you speak to that? It's something that we talked about before the show, so I think it was an important event for you. It meant something, and for Delaware, I thought it was an awesome thing. Mm-hmm. So um, a little bit about that um, definitely was an event that will always stay with me. Um, it was inspired by my older brother, Calvin Wilson Jr. Um, honestly, as just young black men, we felt like we had to do something. Um, we had been to a couple of protests um, the weeks prior, and um, my brother just wanted to do something different. And so um, he was 
kind of contemplating, thinking, and he came across the idea of doing 100 Black Men in Ties um, march in Dover, Delaware, which is the capital of our state. And so um, we started doing, once he told me the idea, I was like, I think that's awesome, amazing. Um, as a, as an educator, my kids know that I love to dress up. So when he told me about that, I was like, oh, awesome. We're going to have ties, suits. We're going to go to Hope 9. And I was excited. <laughs> you guys look good. You guys look good that day. I thought yeah. it was like, yeah. Right. But um, then he was like, we just got to really um, go about it strategically. So he set up a Facebook group. Um, and we were kind of strategic on how we organized it to ensure that um, everyone's on the same page. And we were... Um, presenting a message to the community that we are present, um, active young men in our communities. We had a speaker, um, Reverend uh, Reginald Chandler Sr. Um, he's a reverend, I believe, of Scott Amy Church mm-hmm. in Wilmington and Transformation Church in Dover, Delaware. And um, he gave a very empowering speech that um, really left all the men inspired and um, motivated to just do our part. I think his three main points was values, um, vision, and victory. And how each man, that's three things that we have to have. We have to know what our values are. We have to have a vision for our lives, our families, our community. And then based off those two things, if we carry it out with all remote, all remote, all of it, um, everything we have will be, will be victorious. And so, um, that it was, it was a good event. Just definitely an experience that will stay with me. Yeah. So, so what was the motivation behind? Like, I mean, those three things are. are but was there someone that was a driving force of this, or is it just kind of like you said, your brother kind of had this idea and was like, "Let's roll with it." Was there? Yeah. So, um, I'll say the driving force would definitely be um, some of the different social um, unrest in the happening in our nation at the time um, and still currently. Um, honestly, after the Amar Arbery situation, um, that kind of really shook me up and put me in a space of being kind of numb to being targeted violently as a black man. Um, I'm a runner. I've ran three marathons and the uh, ton of the different 5Ks, 10Ks. And so seeing that situation, that scenario pair with Amal Arbery, I'm like, man, like I'm a runner and I this could literally be me. And so that really kind of like shook me up and really had me um, in a space where I was feeling a little defeated at the moment, honestly. And then, of course, after the whole George, whole George Floyd situation, that was even more of a blow. Um, but I think seeing the spark across the nation and everyone catching fire and doing something in their community, we just felt like we had to do something in Delaware to um, prevent a united front that um, we are doing our part and we're doing the best we can. And we want to do better in terms of being better providers for our families, um, better protectors. And we want other societies like white society, um, white America to see us and know that we're present and active. Yeah. Now, I think I, mean, I, I felt the message for you guys. I was following you and Gerard specifically around those days leading up to that because I wanted to see kind of what was going on. Um, so, so let me ask this question, and, and this might be a little awkward. Were there any white people there? And if so, 
what was the reaction to them? Like, if I just rolled up there, yeah, it would so have been I, like, yeah, no, this is not your event. Go back in your car and go back. No, to no. <laughs> it was it was interesting because we um it was three of us who were the main organizers of it and initially that was our push it was like we're just gonna have just black men um we want to be unified and everything but um my brother he has one of his best friends is white and so um when he had told me he's like yeah i want to be part i want to support he's like in whatever way i can uh, my brother he asked us he's like well how do you guys feel about it and so um, initially it was like, um, uh, it's supposed to be just black people. <laughs> but after we had talked about it and talked to my dad, um, and my dad really gave us some history too. He was like, well, you guys got to remember about Martin Luther King. Like he never turned anyone away. Um, he was always one of the white guys, A couple of white guys in those pictures. Come on, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he just encouraged us to um, include anyone and whether they want to march, whether they want to be on the sideline cheering us on, where they wanted to be at the green with us. And so that um, gave my brother kind of like the green light to encourage Dan to be a part. And it was nice how it turned out when he came. Um, he marched with us. Um, the march that we were or the chant that we were saying was black man, black man, that's who I am. And um, of course, Dan couldn't say that, <laughs> but he marched with us in solidarity. And once we got there and did our um, I'm a man speech, he um, mentioned that he's an ally, a friend and a supporter. And so that was really powerful having his his face there to really um, just show not just the black community, but also the white community that we are. We need allies like we can't do this by ourselves. We need supporters, people who are willing to embark in this work. And it sounds like he, he supported, he didn't center it on him. Right. You know, yeah. He yeah. On Facebook, like, look, I'm hanging out with all the black dudes. And yeah. Work. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, okay, chill. Just right. Hey, Doug, he's the one that I was saying that reminded me of you because when he did his uh, I am speech, when he said, I'm a friend and I'm here as an ally, I was like, I had to do a double take. I was like, oh, this is like Doug out here. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he was around behind me, and I'm like, "Whoa, Doug out here!" <laughs> no, I'm not, I wasn't, no. Anyway, um, no. I think that. I mean, I think that that's. I think that's an important part. That I think as, as white dudes that really want to do the work, white dudes that have, you know, I mean, Stevie, you don't know me really well, but I mean, I the only influence I ever had as a kid in my music career was black rap stars like those were my those were my entertainers forever i've always been a music guy and it's always been black males that have taught me how to think and then growing up you know in delaware you know you, you through especially through you know integration you had kids coming to my schools that were from the city and i played basketball so like all of those sort of like experiences for me always seemed to make sense and i never really connected the dots until like maybe seven or eight maybe i don't even know how many maybe it was five years ago like i never like i was always kind of like not a racist and I'm like, why am I just not a racist? Maybe I should be more anti-racist, right? And it just, to me, it started making sense because I also had those experiences and connections with people that I could talk to and uh, have conversations with that I was like, okay, so we messed stuff up really bad. We quoted things for hundreds of years. I had these personal experiences with people. So now I need to learn more history and put language and vocabulary to it so that when I talk to the white people, I can explain it, not from 
an angle of like you're wrong and you're guilty and you should be having mm-hmm. shame on you because this is Dean and I talk about this a lot. It's just a matter of just just think and just listen for a minute. Like I'm gonna be the bridge for you to help you find out more information. Like that's where I want to be. Right? That's my space. So anyway. That, was, that actually that got me thinking about the um, you know when there was a there was a Juneteenth celebration in Dover um, and I was you know I like I wasn't invited and I'm like is this something I show up for because I don't know if this space is intended for me you know it's this I don't think it is and so I you know I I don't. I don't want to gather in large spaces with a lot of people anyway right now because of COVID. But I was like, you know, if, if COVID wasn't an issue, I don't know that the space is intended for me. And I, I think that I need to let black people have their, their space. Um, so if somebody invited me, I probably would go, but it was just like, I just don't think this is, this is meant for me. Yeah. That's a really interesting thought. Anybody just want to expand on that, or should we move on to topic number two? Stephen, anything else you want to share with us, the the listeners out there, about who you are or where you want to be in the history of the world? Um, just want to have a positive impact on (laughs) on kids. Um, definitely want to be an inspiration for other black kids to, especially black young men, to get into education. I think it's um, needed. I think back to um, before Brown versus Board, how um, just the educational system, even with less resources, we still found a way to um, empower and educate our kids. And I think it's powerful to have our our own give back sometimes. Absolutely. All right. So we were talking about white people in black spaces. Gerard, you're up. You want to explain to us what the situation is with a viewing. Oh, so you shared with us earlier. Oh no, is this is uh like the difference between the way the black culture does things and the white culture can be two different things. So when you're entering that space, you you have to be cognizant of this is a cultural thing. It's not a respect thing or odd or weird thing. For example, um, last year, um, somebody that I work with. Um, they got a good relationship with um, her. Um, one of her prior co-workers, colleagues had um, had an adult child that passed away. Um, and the viewing, the viewing was on her birthday and her husband had already had her um, already had something planned for, her, but she still wanted to show her respects to the family. So and it was like on a Friday evening. So, I get a text from her and she's like, Hey, dry. Can I call you real quick? I'm like, sure. So she called and she's like, Hey, she's like, uh, she's like, I'm glad we got the relationship. So I got to ask you something. She's like, I'm like, okay, shoot. She's like, I'm at this viewing. Um, I've never been to a black viewing or funeral before. And I see that the family isn't here. Um, do I wait? Do, what do I do? And then she's like, because, um, and like, you know, us as white people, like at the viewing or the funeral, we're standing up near the the casket and we're we're greeting people back who and thanking them for coming. And I'm like, nah, I'm like, let me break something down to you. I'm like, in the black culture, sometimes the the viewing is not always gonna mean that all the family is gonna be there to greet you and all that. I was like, the viewing is a formality or a way for people to show their respect for the ones that can't make their funeral. I was like, 
like let's say if it's a spouse, you may not even see the spouse there that night because they're still going through that grieving process or whatever the case may be, and you'll see them the next day at the funeral. Or they they have done a family private viewing and before or afters, and they're really not that accessible. And she's like, oh, and it kind of put her mind at ease because she thought that like she was in the wrong, but like she had never known that. So I had to kind of explain that to her. So that, that's a free list, a free lesson for our listeners. You don't, have to ask the black, you don't have to ask the black person to black person. I've already explained it to you. No, that's I. I had never heard. I had never, and I've been to a black funeral too. But I guess or doing, but I guess I went the next day when the family was there. I don't know. I had never experienced. Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes what I, I learned something. New. Yeah, like like in the black culture, sometimes what we might do is you may have a viewing. The, like let's say your funerals the funeral the funeral may be on a Saturday from like twelve to two, and sometimes you might have the viewing from ten to twelve. But depend a lot of times we use a black owned company um, for the funeral service. So depending on how their schedule is, sometimes you may opt to have an evening viewing to accommodate those that may not make the viewing or the funeral the next day. So you may not necessarily see the the family member that you're coming to support. But that's okay because one thing, and I also told um, my, my colleague this. I was like, just make, just make sure that you sign the um, the guest book. I was like, because we do, like that's one thing us black fans do. We do look at that guest book because we try to get out thank you cards and we try to follow up. Like we thank you for being like we will that that we do. So I was like, just I was like, she'll know you're there. Just you know, sign the book. She'll see your like she she know that you came and support it and. To, to pay your respects. There you go. All right, Gina, Steven, any, anything on that? Or are we moving on? Moving on? Yeah, moving on. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. All right, so um, one of the things that we've talked about in this podcast, behind the scenes a lot, is what can we do as a podcast or as a little group here to kind of help promote collaboration around equity work? So this is open to all y'all. Like, what are your thoughts? Like, how can this group of little four, the, 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 I'm saying little, the four of us, um, how can we, you know, really promote or, or push this movement? Because I think we're all kind of seeing the same, you know, way, but how do we help others? What do you guys think? Uh, I, I guess I'll go, I, no, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess I'll go first. Um, for, <laughs> for me, I'm real oh, big on, okay, can you hear me? Doug, can y'all yeah. hear me? Okay, because I know that that, that that one week yeah, had them problems. Okay, so for me, I'm a big believer in starting small. Um, and what I mean by starting small is affecting the circle of or the inf- this little circle influence that is currently around you. For example, in my role as an assistant principal, my job is to make sure that the teachers that are standing in front of black and brown children every day always are cognizant of what their students may be going through, what's going on in the world and how they can help bridge that gap. And they, they may need some more skills or some more educational, how to deal with the black community. So for me, my, my, my thing with pushing this equity work and circle of influence is starting right there, as well as when I'm in meetings with uh, my white colleagues, other white educators Anything that displays implicit bias or explicit bias, 
I have been jumping on and in a, prof- in, a in a professional way, but re-educating yeah. them on not now nah, this is the way this looks or this is the way this is going to be taken because those small steps like that, at least if I can gain one to, you know, change their approach and change their ways, then another white person can latch on to them after they see them doing some different things and it can kind of be like a domino effect. But instead of like trying to be on a big grand scale, no, it's got to be. I think that's definitely going to happen. No, you're good. It's got to be the people that I'm currently around that don't look like me and letting them know I'm not a spokesperson for all black people, but I can tell you certain things, how it's going to be viewed or perceived by the black community that you might want to reshift the way you approach that. Mm-hmm. I've always appreciated your just blatant honesty, but you're doing it in such a professional tone. It really is. Uh, it's, it's enlightening. It really is. It really is. I've always appreciated that about you, John. And I'm going to miss meeting you for uh, lunch at Policy and Practice Institute this year. Just FYI. I, I know. D- Doug, yeah. I, think, I think that's how me you first met, wasn't it? Twitter and Policy and Practice. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, hey. Policy, man. <laughs> yep. this year. All right, Dana, what about anything for us as far as uh, how this podcast, this group, can help shape the minds of fellow educators around equity work? <laughs> it, well, I, I, I tend to kind of be at the same mindset as Gerard is with that, where a lot of it for me is starting locally, you know, and, and starting with, you know, making, making changes to what you do, you know, and I, I have the perspective of being in the classroom versus, you know, managing a, a building like the both of uh, both Gerard, both you and Doug have. Um, so a lot of it for me has been, starting with what is happening within my own classroom or within my department, and then networking with other Delaware educators to have conversations around how can this look? Because I certainly am not an expert on how to do equity work. Um, And there are a lot of people out there who've, who've done this work and other teachers are taking coursework through those people have done it for a long time and have been helping me to figure out, okay, now that I understand this is what this is, this is, you know, how I'm going to do it. And it's also afforded me the opportunity to be able to collaborate with people who don't even teach the same content that I teach. Um, you know, it's, I'm, a, I'm about to start collaborating with a history teacher to, you know, come up with like an identity unit that we both can do, even though we're not in the same building. Um, so it, it, it enables me to, to do that and have those discussions with, with other people. Um, but it's also helps me to be more mindful about the way that I approach what that means in my classroom so that I'm, I'm doing it in a way that impacts my students as well, you know, because I, you know, and really in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's really what this should be about. This should not be about, me saying that I'm doing something, it, there should be an action associated with it because, you know, and I am, I am not a black person. So, you know, Stephen and Gerard, maybe, maybe you could better speak to this than I definitely could. But from what I understand from having conversations with people who are black, um, nobody wants to hear us talking about things. Nobody wants to hear us talking about it. We, you know, you want to see action. You know, you want to see how are we applying this? Because it's like, you can't claim you're learning something if you're not willing to do something with what you're learning. 
<laughs> what did you say the other day on the Voxer group? We can't have a kumbaya moment because <laughs> exactly. we had, that was actually that that was in a that was in another that was in one of our episodes. We were talking about the um, I it's I I've been going back and re-listening so that I can um, you know type in notes about what that episode was about, and um, I, I I you know somebody had I, I think and I can't remember what the whole context was, but I we hear a lot of well. Why can't you just do this? Like, why can't you just do this quote unquote peacefully, you know, or why can't you do this way? And it's like, you know, people have been protesting quietly for a long time and it's not working. You know, and I think we had said, you know, people of Kumbaya, the Kumbaya is not working. So So it it just, you know, if, if you are not willing to step up and do something with what you are learning, then can you really say that you're learning? Can you really say that you are, are being a better person if you're not doing something with that? So I'm trying to make sure that I, I, I am keeping myself, you know, I'm being as informed as I possibly can be, but also too, I, that I am opening myself up to when somebody says to me, you know, have you thought about it this way that I could say, you know what, that's a great idea. And let me change the way that I'm doing this. Yeah. And guess what? You got the three of us to keep you accountable. So you Absolutely. <laughs> which hey, is Dana. which is great. That's what I need. That's what I need. I and agree Dana, with you. And Dana, to piggyback, Dana, to piggyback off what you said about, um, you know, black people saying like, now that, now that you see it, it's more than just reading and talking about it, but taking action. I just want to piggyback off a conversation that um, I think we had dropped in the group or me and Doug and you was talking about. And that comes to, I, I, I got to keep this at the forefront because people need to hear it. This comes to minority hiring. And what I mean by that is in the educational system from K through six, and I didn't realize this came from secondary in K through six. And in this state, it's going to be hard for you to get a K through six position if you're not dual certified. And my thing is we got recruiters all throughout this state that's going on HBCUs looking for candidates. And my thing is, if you already know that if a lot of those candidates coming from an HBCU, no matter where it is in this country, is it going to have a fair shake in your district because they're not dual certified? Well, the powers to be. Have y'all had that conversation with these dean of these dean of these cool schools of education to let them know that the students that have a K through six program cannot leave your campus and walk across that grass to get their degree if they're not dual certified. Like y'all need to be preaching that to the institutions so that way they can reframe what they're doing to ensure that those black candidates are leaving there dual certified, not getting certified after graduation. Because let's just be honest, sometimes life happens and it's like, if I can get a job without being dual certified, let me just struggle through it. No, like. If that's what school districts, if that's if that's your gold standard, make sure these programs that are preparing teachers, especially these HBCUs, know that. Yeah. It's well, and I that got me thinking about the um, one of the things. So we're we're all reading Cultivating Genius by Goldie Muhammad, and one of the things that comes up within the text is you know she she delves into. Um, are you as as administrators or district level personnel are you asking questions you know in your what are your what are your interviewing questions look like what are you know and so one of the things that that i kind of thought about was 
you know, when, when you have a conversation and we have all been in, and I, Stephen, I can't speak for you, but, um, in our, in, in an interview situation where you were actively interviewing somebody else, you know, and I know Gerard, both you and Doug have been in that. And I have been in that situation as well. And when you start having conversations with people and you start asking them interview questions, you can tell when somebody answers a question whether they are throwing out the buzzwords or whether they actually have any application for what they discuss. You know there's a complete difference in how they answer that. And so when equity questions come up as a part of the interview process, if you can't actually answer a question that points to, I understand the difference between reading a book and applying what I've I've learned. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that and reflect on that, it puts you at a disadvantage when you go to do the interview. So that, that was my other thought is it's like, we're going to reach a point where this is going to become a part of the hiring process. Yeah. Yeah. Remind me I'm hiring, not hiring. I am interviewing two people on Wednesday. Uh, actually I'm interviewing seven for two positions and, um, I should say, I'm not going to put out here in the podcast, but I will send you guys the questions and tell me what you think. I've tried to take that equity lens a little bit in action. Like you talk about, like, what are the actions? So this is an action that I have control over because I'm hiring for my school. So remind me later. I'll send you guys the, the questions and see what you guys think. But sure. You're absolutely correct. That is so important. I'm sorry. All right, Stephen, are you got anything you want to share with us about equity work? Um, I'll say for me, um, coming out of my fourth year teaching, my focus has kind of been on networking and really um, building connections amongst um, my black colleagues across my districts and my building and across the state. Um, of course, nationally, I'm sure you guys all know um, 2% of the workforce is black males. Um, in Delaware, I believe 11% of the teacher workforce is African American. And for me, I know sometimes you can feel like you're on an island. And so I try to stay connected with my black colleagues and, um, even my Hispanic colleagues, just to be a resource, be a, um, a safe space for them to come to and vent. Because I feel like sometimes we experience things as black teachers that our colleagues can't really relate to. And it puts us in a tough spot. I know I talk to Gerard about it a lot of times because, like, how you navigate certain spaces so you don't come off a certain way. Um, and still thinking, like, long term because some people want to move up the ladder. But um, that's just been my um, my initiative or my goal lately um, this past year, just really building connections with um, new teachers and also building connections with veterans so I can learn from them and um, kind of enhance my experience. All right. That's cool. All right. Um, I think the only other thing we got we talked about talking about during the show is our core mission and vision with this group. I and mean, maybe that falls in line with what we just talked about, but I don't know if there's something that Gerard, Dean, and you or Stephen want to speak to as far as what we think this group could be. I, I mean, for me, it's just an opportunity to talk to the three of you, but also maybe through the conversation, you model how to have conversations with people that you work with. Um, mm-hmm in order to provide a better experience for the students in your school. I mean, I think that, to me, it's just an example of what and how you can talk to each other in order to make yourself a better person. I don't know. What do you guys think? 
like to me, this work is basically an extension. Like I think it's nothing other than the equity piece that we've been on. This work to me is like an extension of like all of our relationships that got started on Twitter and Voxer years ago. And now it's just coming together on a, on a different platform on a different topic. But like that's this is an extension of us all being on Twitter, us being at certain PDs and linking back up, being at ad camps, being at NACE. And now that we talked about equity work, I think it was like before this year even rolled in and it's like the best thing to do is just do it and let everything else fall where, where it is. And I think it's it's a an evolve, ever evolving process because as new things happen in the world of education, everything that happens in the world has a has a indirect or direct effect on what we do as educators. Or do we drive everything that happens in the world? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mm. Okay. <laughs> 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 I wish. Maybe we're the catalyst. Maybe we are the matrix. Maybe what we decide that we want to do changes everything that happens around us. Although it's like a slow moving you know, kernel, but you know, if we actually made some real changes, maybe we could change the world, right? That's my hashtag change the world. Change the world. All right, y'all. Do you guys have anything else to talk about tonight? Anything else you want to bring up? Any other questions or comments or statements? Y'all good? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. All right, hold on. I'm going to put it uh, out for music. Uh, 